A few months ago, I read an article in the Washington Post about the Kramer family from Montgomery County. After their parents had passed away, they were going through their possessions when they found two library books that their dad had borrowed from 1974. These books were 42 years overdue. And they found them on vacation in Ontario. They had a log cabin up there. So these books weren't just 42 years overdue. They were 1,200 miles away from the library where they borrowed them. One of the Kramers quickly did a calculation and found out that the books were 31,046 days overdue. And then he did some math and he figured in 1970s, like every day a book was late, it was about a nickel. And so he figured that they owed the library $1,552.30. And so he sent them a check. He actually flew back to Montgomery County to deliver it himself and bring the library books back to that Montgomery County library. What's weird about the article is as I continue to read, there are a bunch of other stories about lost library books being returned home. A New York City library just received Gone with the Wind that was overdue by 57 years. A Portland State University just re received two academic journals that were overdue by 54 years. Bethesda Chevy Chase Library received How to Live 365 Days a Year overdue by 50 years. I like want to know what that book is about. I'm just assuming it's like Mad Men. And so it just tells you to like drink scotch all the time. Like I'm not sure what that book would have been like. And Chestnut Green Elementary, which is in Prince George's County, just received Birth of Rome, which was overdue by 73 years. When I was in sixth grade, I had to do a book report, and so I chose this book called Canyons. And the author of Canyons is this guy named Gary Paulson. And so if you were in middle school in the 90s like me, you read a book called Hatchet. Anybody? Got a few of those? Okay. So Hatchet, Gary Paulson wrote Hatchet, and he eventually wrote this book called Canyons. And so as a sixth grader, I decided I'm going to read this book, and I'm going to do my book report. And just to be honest, like, this was the first time I ever read a whole book when doing a book report. I know you guys are going to judge me for that, but you do the same thing. You read the first few pages, maybe the middle. We didn't have Google back then, so that didn't happen. You know, read the back, and then eventually you kind of BS your, your book report and send it in. But, but I read this book, and I loved it. And so I remember delivering the speech that day. It was the most confident I've ever been speaking in front of the class because I actually read the book. And afterwards, when I went to turn in my book report, I couldn't find the book. And I looked and looked and couldn't find it. Eventually, I had to give up. And what's funny is 20 years ago, that book went missing. I still have no idea where it is. My family moved when we were in high school. We've moved, I've lived on, in two houses like my entire life, and I don't know where that book is. But for some reason, every once in a while, I just like think about it, and I wonder, like, where did this book go? I have this dream that my mom one day is going to find it. She's going to be like going through my, old, my schoolwork, seeing how awesome I was as a kid. And she's going to find it and bring it back to me. And I'm going to bring it back to Sterling Middle School, and I'm going to be a hero. And the Washington Post is going to write an article about me. You know, but to be honest, when I was reading the article, I thought it was just a little bit weird that the Washington Post, one of the biggest newspapers in the United States, is writing about lost library books. But I realized that there's something really great about lost things being found especially when we thought they were gone forever. Jesus actually uses lost things being found as an illustration in the Bible. He talks about, he talks about how much joy a shepherd feels when they find a lost sheep. He talks about the relief that a woman feels when she finds her lost coin. He tells us a story about a lost son returning home and a story called the prodigal son. Now, some of you might have heard this story before. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And even if you haven't heard it before, it's a theme in a lot of movies, right? Someone leaves home, but eventually comes back. And that's what the prodigal son is about. Now, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I've known of the prodigal son for a long time, but I had no idea what prodigal meant. Like, I was just like, yeah, prodigal son. I think I know what that means. And so, so a few months ago, I was like, I don't even know what prodigal means. So I looked it up, and I figured I would explain it to you because I didn't know what it meant either. Prodigal means someone who spends money or resources freely and recklessly. 
someone who is wastefully extravagant. And so as Jesus tells this story from the start, that's who this guy is. That's who we learn who he is. He is reckless and he's wasteful. And Jesus tells a story about this prodigal son in Luke 15. And so we're going to read this and we're going to work through this today. And so if you brought a Bible or if you have one, go ahead and open it up to Luke 15. If you've got a smartphone, take it out. Uh, but if you don't have either of those, we're going to put it up on the screen. And so you can check it out with us. Um, you know, we want you guys to read it as we go through. And what we're going to do is I'm going to read a little bit and we're going to talk uh, through this story of the prodigal son. So here's how it begins. Luke 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Essentially what the younger son is saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. There was no other way for him to get this inheritance except for his father passing away. And he just got tired of his dad living and said, listen, I want my money. I wish you were dead. Give it to me now. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now look at what that says. This was not on accident. He didn't get caught up in the wrong crowd or meet the wrong people or, or something accidentally happened to him. This was a choice that he made. He chose to go crazy. The word wild there means utterly and shamelessly immoral, completely and extravagantly broken down. And this is the life that the prodigal son chose to live. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now Jesus, who is telling this story, is Jewish. And Jesus is talking to a Jewish crowd, and he's talking about a Jewish person. And Jewish people believe that pork is unclean. So for a Jewish person to be in a pig pen, tending to the pigs, that's the lowest that he could ever be. And as he worked, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's in a pigsty. He's looking at the pig food, and he's thinking, these animals have it better than I do. Have you ever been there before? Watching someone go through the hardest time of their life, but you're watching them thinking, they have it better than I do? That's exactly where the son was. It continues, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You can kind of imagine the whole way home. He's, he's reciting that. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Make me like one of your hired servants. The whole way home, he's repeating it. And I can just imagine he's saying it and he's trying new inflections. Father, 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 I've sinned against you, 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 you. Okay, that's good. And he's like practicing the whole way because he wants it to be perfect. He wants it to be so right that his dad lets him be a hired servant. And so the prodigal son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. This is a beautiful picture, right? His father is waiting for him. It makes me wonder if the father sat on the porch every single night, hoping to see a glimpse of his son. The reality is he probably did alone. He probably didn't tell anybody because what his son did was incredibly shameful to wish his father dead, to take the money and leave. But yet the father stayed on the front porch every single night, hoping to see him again. When his father saw him, he was filled with compassion for him. 
He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But his dad cuts him off. He won't let him finish. Can you imagine how that felt for the son? Like having no idea how your father's gonna receive you, having no idea if he's gonna welcome you back, just wanting to be a servant in his house. And yet before he even finishes saying the thing he's practiced the whole way home, his dad says, come here. And then his father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers, finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And the father says, we're gonna party. Here's why. He says, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now, realistically, like, I think this could be the greatest story of all time. You know, a lost son returning home, a father welcoming him with open arms. It kind of gives you all the feels, right, when you hear that story. And there are a lot of great things about the prodigal son, but we're going to talk about two, two things today when it comes to this story. The first one is this. The son had to come to his senses. His son had taken the inheritance. He had told his dad that he wished he was dead. And he squandered his money on prostitutes and wild living. And he ended up in a pigsty, feeding the pigs, looking at that going, that's better than what I have it. He was at rock bottom. And as we, as we read the story, we realized that it's completely his fault. He put himself in that situation. It was his choice that got him there. His decisions led him to the bottom. And he realized, that at some point, he realized that this isn't working anymore. The life that he had chosen, the decisions that he had made weren't working anymore. And the son had to come to his senses. I mean, we get that, right? Like, this might not be our whole story, but certainly parts of it. We've made bad choices. Maybe we've hurt people. We've hit rock bottom. And we've realized that this just isn't working anymore. And maybe it's, it's in our relationships or it's our job. Maybe it is our family or our faith. There are moments in our life where we've come to the point where we hit the bottom and we have to come to our senses. This is kind of how I ended up being a minister. Uh, my senior year of high school was getting ready to end and I was kind of over this whole Jesus thing. My family started going to church in middle school and I really loved it in middle school and I, and I liked it in, in high school. I had some good friends. I went to a church plant uh, that looked very similar to this. But by the time I was a senior, I was kind of done with the whole Jesus thing. Uh, and most of it was because I just didn't know post high school, like what that would look like. And so my goal was to, to go to college and maybe I would go to church, maybe I wouldn't, uh, most likely wouldn't. Uh, but that was kind of what my, my goals were as I went to graduate. My senior year of high school, I had a few mentors who I kind of told that plan to, and they essentially challenged me to go into ministry. But of course, like I was not interested in ministry. I was like, dude, ministers are boring. Like I don't want to be a minister. Like that's not what I want to do. I want to go to college. Maybe Jesus will be a part of it. Maybe not. And so I began to apply for a few schools. And after a few months of waiting, I realized that it wasn't working out the way I had planned. The first school I applied to rejected me. The second school I applied to waitlisted me. And the third one accepted me, but I didn't want to go. In fact, it was kind of like that throw in just to feel good about yourself. But then when you don't get into the other two, you don't really feel very good. And so there I was trying to make this decision, what do I do? You know, all my friends were getting into school, they were going, they were pumped, and here I am at home trying to figure out what am I doing with my life? And so I decided I, was gonna, I, was gonna not go to, I, was, I wasn't gonna go to college, but I was gonna get a job. And so uh, I started contracting when I was 18 years old. 
And that's how I spent all my time. I didn't have relationships. I stopped going to church. So all my energy when it came to my life was just work. I wanted to work as hard as I could, make as much money as I could, and eventually figure out what I'm doing with my life. And so because of that, uh, in the fall of that year, uh, it was Thanksgiving break. And it was the day after Thanksgiving. And instead of being home with my family or hanging out with my friends who just wanted to share how awesome college was while I was at home, I decided to go into work. And so at the time, we were working on this giant, like, multi-bajillion dollar home in Great Falls, uh, and one of my jobs was working uh, and, and building the door frames. And so everything was custom made, and so I'm custom making these door frames, and I'm, I'm cutting what is called a plint. It's the thing that you put at the bottom of a door frame. And as I'm going, I've got about 60 of them, because these people have like a million doors in their house. And I'm cutting these plints on a table saw, and I'm going through 10, 20, 30, and by the time I get about halfway, I start to get lazy. I kind of stop paying attention to what I'm doing. And about the 40th time I went through, on my way back, uh, my thumb got too low and hit the table saw blade. I'll save the rest of the details for later. If you're really interested, I've got pictures. It's not good. I was rushed to the hospital uh, and had to have emergency surgery. And what ended up happening, uh, I still have a thumb, in case you guys are wondering. Some of you are like, what? Uh, (laughs) I had a, a pin put in my thumb and 60 stitches. And so for the next three months, I was in a cast which makes it hard when you're working contracting. And it makes it even harder when you're left-handed. So I reached out to my boss and I thought, well, maybe he'll take care of me. But the reality was I was doing a job under the table, so there was no workers' comp. In fact, as I reached out for more and more help, he stopped responding and eventually disappeared. And so for three months, I just continued to spiral. I'd walked away from church, had no friends, wasn't useful. I began to struggle with anger and depression and essentially just sat in my dark room for months at a time. In the back of my mind, I kept hearing my mentors telling me, think about ministry, think about ministry. And so I hit rock bottom. (laughs) And I said, I'm going to be a minister. And so I started praying, okay, God, like, I don't know what to do. Just show me something. I'm going to apply to a few schools. I don't know where to go. And, and I just put it all on God and said, God, okay, like, I, I'm making bad decisions. I put myself in this situation. This is my choice. Show me something. April of 2005, I started to apply to schools, and I heard back from a small school in Johnson City, Tennessee called Milligan College. I'd never been. I'd never seen it. I'd never been to Tennessee. I, I grew up in this area. I was like, I don't want to go to the South. But I realized the decisions that I was making that my choices were leading me to a dark place. So I decided that I would go. I decided that I had to get up and turn back home. The second point of the story I want to point out is the fact that they partied. Let's talk about that for a second. I think it's weird. A lot of times, like, churches don't want to talk about partying. Jesus partied. The prodigal son partied. Partying is a part of it. Partying is a part of collective. I think we party well. Uh, we joke uh, throughout everything. We eat well. We eat good food. Like partying is a part of it, and that's what the father did. But here's what Jesus is trying to say by, by, by pointing out the fact that they partied. And, he, and here's one of the best parts about this story. So justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting a punishment that you deserve. But grace is getting something so much better than what we deserve. And the reason why Jesus is telling this story about partying because he wants people to know that that's what grace looks like. When the father threw a party for the son, it was grace. It was so much greater than he deserved. And the reality is Jesus wants you to experience that same type of grace. 
Jesus died to take on the punishment for our sin. The sin of walking out of alignment with God separates us from God, and Jesus died so that we don't carry that burden anymore. And, and Jesus tells us that if we give our life to Jesus, that his perfection goes on us. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see the mistakes that we've made. He sees the perfection of Jesus. That's grace. And the reason why we know grace is real is because Jesus died and rose again. He died on a cross for our sins to pay that debt that we've created through our sin. But he didn't just die. Three days later, he rose again from the grave. And the grace in this story, the grace that that son receives, is the same grace that Jesus wants us to experience. See, the father didn't give justice. The father didn't give mercy, even though most people would assume that's what a father would give. The father gave him grace. He threw him a party. So if you're here today and you're at rock bottom, come to your senses. If you feel alone, come to your senses. If your marriage is on the brink, come to your senses. If you're in crushing debt, come to your senses. If you're sitting in a pigsty, looking at the pigs, thinking that is better than my life right now, come to your senses. Because the story tells us that there's something so much better than what we deserve waiting for us. And I think one of the reasons why we seek God is because things are going wrong and we need a fresh start. And to be honest, a lot of you here today feel like the prodigal son. And the reality is you're afraid to get up and go back home. You're afraid of how the father will react. You have no idea what to expect. And, and you're in this point where you desperately want to start over. You want a new life. You want something different. And you realize, man, I am at rock bottom. A lot of you were walking into collective this morning feeling that same way. You showed up looking for a fresh start. Maybe you saw a mailer or something on social media or a friend invited you, or maybe you just accidentally showed up. But some reason you're here and there's a part of you that wants to start over, a new life, a fresh start. And the reality is as you walked in today, you were nervous. I'm sure some of you sat in your car for an extra few minutes wondering if you were going to even open the door and go in or if you're going to drive away. But all you want is a new life. All you hope for is a fresh start. All you long for is a community to be a part of. And I'm here to tell you, and Collective is here to tell you that that exists, that all of that is possible. But a lot of you just aren't sure. And a lot of you are here wondering, is Collective going to fill you with hope? Or is it going to be another place that lets you down? And to be honest, that's one of the reasons why we ask you guys to try five because we want to put our money where our mouth is. We firmly believe that if you give this church five weeks, you will feel that way, that you'll see that life change is real, that hope is real, that grace is real, that fresh starts can happen, new life can happen, authentic community exists here. But we recognize that a lot of you aren't sure if church is where that can happen. One of the best books I've ever read is a, is a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. And I would encourage you, honestly, everybody here to read it. Even if you're like, I don't read Christian books, like read this book. It's incredible. It's so different than the rest of them. This book is about grace and how much it can change somebody's life. And so a few months ago, a friend of mine said, hey, you need to read this book. And so I was on a flight down to Florida and I thought, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. And as I started to read, I couldn't get through the first page without feeling like I got punched in the gut. On the first page of this book, Philip Yancey tells a story about a woman who's a prostitute. 
And she realized that she could make more money in an hour than she could in a whole day if she sold off her two-year-old daughter. And so this woman comes to Yancey's friend who's a counselor to talk about what's going on. And as the counselor begins to ask questions, finally he settles on this question. And he asks this woman, this, this woman who sells off her daughter, and he says, have you ever thought about going to church? The woman rolled her eyes and responded, why would I go to church? I already feel bad enough. And the reality is, we all know what that feeling is like. There's a point in our life, maybe it's today, maybe it was in the past that we were in the pigsty and we didn't need someone to tell us that we messed up. We got it. What you needed was somebody to help you up and to tell you that a fresh start is possible. And that's why we're starting Collective Church. Because we recognize that church is a place where you get grace. Too often, religious people have communicated that God is just for the faithful or the churchgoer or the pure or the rule keeper or the hard worker. But this is why Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. Religious leaders were criticizing him for hanging out with tax collectors and prodigals. They were upset because he was hanging out with people who were deemed sinners. They didn't like it. And when they started to push Jesus and ask him about these questions, this is the story that he told because he wanted them to know that he wasn't just for religious people, that he was for prodigals, that Jesus is for the rest of us. That's why Collective Church is a church for the rest of us, because Jesus is for us, for prodigals, for broken and messed up people. And the reality is we're starting this church because we want you to have that experience. We want you to know what it's like to be the prodigal son, to realize that you're at rock bottom and that you have to come to your senses. And we want to be a church that says, come on home. We want you to experience grace. We want everybody in this room to experience the party that we don't deserve. And so this is our first official weekend as Collective Church. This has been in the works for 25 months. And a lot of you are here trying to figure out, is Collective Church the church that I'm looking for? And so I want to give you some reasons that if you're checking out Collective today, that this might not be the church for you. If you think Jesus is only for Christian people, this is not your church. If you think sin is something you did once upon a time and now you're all good, this is not your church. If you want plastic and fake instead of real and authentic community, this is not your church. If you want, hey, we don't talk about that here, this is not your church. If your most pressing issues are finding answers on predestination or thoughts on how the world will end, this is not your church. If you want to just go deeper in your walk but don't care about whether or not people are dying going to hell, this is not your church. If you want just truth and legalism and, and only care about being right, this is not your church. If you want just grace where there isn't a standard and who's got to tell us what to do, this is not your church. If you are upset that the prodigal son was shown grace, this is not your church. The story of the prodigal son tells us who God is for. And because God is for those people, we collective are for those people. God is for the woman who rents out her daughter, for the son who ran away, for the faithless and the doubtful, for the broken and the hurting, for the manic depressive and the alcoholic, for the man who thinks he's not good enough because someone hurt him and he carries that wound around thinking that stops him from being a real man, for the woman who thinks she's not good enough because she can't have kids, for the person who sits there staring at their ringless finger wondering, where did my relationship go or when is it going to show up? 
for every person who has ever made a mistake, for every person who has ever had regrets or shame or pain, for every person who has ever hit rock bottom, God is for you. And I mean, he's actually for you, not like, buddy, buddy, hey, I'm for you, but he's sitting on the front porch hoping that you come home. He's sitting waiting for you just to get a glimpse of who you are, and when he sees you, he'll come running. Because Jesus is ready to throw you that party. He's ready for you to experience that grace. And so if you're looking for a church where prodigals can come home, Collective is your church. If you're looking for a place full of messed up people, Collective is your church. If you're looking for a community that's authentic and says, me too, I am broken too, this is your church. If you're looking for a place where you can pour yourself out and experience life to the fullest, this is your church. If you're looking for a place that will challenge you to deal with the junk in your life instead of letting it be your identity, this is your church. If you're looking for a place that embraces both truth and grace, where grace is real, where sin doesn't define you, collective is for you because Jesus is for you. And so if you're here today, you're checking this out for the first time, and you want to be for this city, if you want to be for Frederick, welcome home. If you want to show the transforming love of Jesus to this community, welcome home. And if you want to be for the rest of us, welcome home. Let's pray.